Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, On the Barricades. Uh, I'm your and uh, joining uh, jo- joining your regular hosts, Boyan Stanislavski and Dr. Maria Chinats. I'm Yuri Smouter of One Plus One, your place for inconvenient truth telling and myth busting, which I won't bore you how to find it. We'll 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 we'll, we'll put it in the notes. And on this uh, <laughs> spontaneous edition of On the Barricades, which is your place for pan Eastern European, uh, which is your place for pan Eastern European news and international affairs. Always from a critical left perspective, uh, we're going on. Yes, on this spontaneous episode, we're going to be talking with Boyan Stanislavski, who has just come back from a trip to Israel. So, and uh, and let's get uh, so uh, let's get started. So, first off, Boyan and Maria, thank you for uh, for, uh, for, uh, for 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 doing this today. Great to be here. We are both very curious to learn more about your trip, Boyan. First of all, I think you should tell us uh, who sent you there and why, (laughs) isn't it? Because it's kind of difficult these days to travel to such places on your own. Right. Thank you. So uh, I took part in what is called a journalistic mission to the West Bank. And I was part of a group of uh, six, one, two, three, yes, seven journalists, actually. Uh, And uh, this um, journalist trip was organized by an EU organization structure, uh, which operates in the West Bank. This structure is called the UPOL COPS, and probably you have not heard about it, or at least most of our audience have not uh, heard about it, because, uh, you know, it was even a surprise to me to learn of its existence. And of course, there's nothing to be proud of when it comes to, you know, being ignorant about the existence of certain structures, especially of an organization that our, uh, that we are a part of, like I am, uh, living in Poland and having, and, and being from Bulgaria. Uh, but here we are. I had no idea that this exists. Now, UPOL COPS is a police organization or a justice system organization. Uh, it combines, or that's at least the idea, combines the experience in terms of organizing the justice system from many European countries, from all European countries uh, in the Euro- which are in the EU, and takes it to the West Bank, takes it to the Palestinians who, despite the fact that they don't really have a proper state, they do have uh, their own police, they do have their own intelligence, they do have their own security organizations, uh, and uh, they do have their courts, their prosecutors, their lawyers, and their prisons. So all those things, uh, of course, require operational experience, structure, and uh, ideas. And according to the European Union, they have some ideas that they feel they could share with the Palestinians. And they could, and this is why they, they had formed this advisory body. And I think it's important to stress on this because those people whom I'm very grateful for having received us and for making you know, so many things possible throughout the stay in East Jerusalem and the West Bank, uh, they made it clear, and I want to reiterate that uh, they are not monitoring, they are not managing anything for the Palestinians. They are just there to advise them, answer questions, and provide what they consider to be 
good practices and good examples of solving structural and other kinds of problems within uh, within the justice system. Any justice system uh, has its you know problems. So yeah. uh, so this is this is how I got there. Of course, this would not have happened without uh, me having been in touch with the Palestinian. Uh, diplomatic representation here in Warsaw, uh, wow. where I'm based. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are many factors. And also, of course, you know, I required certain recommendations. So I, you know, I like to think that my journalistic career and, and the competence that I've sort of demonstrated throughout the years has also contributed to me being qualified for this because there was a bit of a, well, I don't want to say competition, but it was a qualifying process, which uh, I completed and, and successfully. So I went, I spent uh, six days in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Uh, and uh, of course, there is no way for me to explain everything I've seen in, you know, half an hour, even one hour. I don't think it's even, a, it's even possible for me to explain that in one sitting. Because uh, this has probably been one of the most important, if not the most important thus far trip in my life. Not just not not because of political um not because of its political aspects not because of the journalist aspects not only because of all those professional and political things but also for me as as a human as as uh it, it was it was something like a very profound emotional and ethical catharsis it was a very yeah a very heavy experience, you know, like sometimes you feel you want to, you want to touch something, you want to get something, you want to get this experience, but you know, it's going to overwhelm you, but you still want to do that because, because you were in, because, because, because you were in, you were in occupied uh, West Bank, uh, occupied uh, East Jerusalem. And did you go to Gaza, which is still under yeah. a hideous uh, embargo by the European Union and, uh, uh, no, I did not go to Gaza. I hope to uh, perhaps make it next time. Uh, but uh, I haven't even seen much of the West Bank, quite honestly. But, you know, uh, well, yeah, okay. I mean, I've seen some things. But, you, you know, let's be honest. In five days, you cannot really, you know, go to all those places. And also, it was not, it's not an easy thing to organize such a trip. We are not trained, you know, war zone journalists. We are peacetime journalists so we had to undergo certain uh, security procedures trainings and all the rest of it which all of those uh policemen that were there provided us uh and i'm very grateful for that and you know i've learned a lot also from this but on the other hand fact of the matter is no matter how well we would have been trained they cannot risk our health and our lives like we were going to go to hebron we we're going to go to Jenin, but we didn't make it there because the israeli army was organizing raids every day you know, yesterday they killed nine people, the day before six people, the day two days before three or four. Like, you know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, you get you get the impression, right? Yeah. And, Israel also, uh, uh, also have to add this. Israel also has a reputation of killing lots of uh, journalists uh, from the Middle East, Western journalists as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, <laughs> by the way, look, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not funny because quite honestly, it's like uh, this journalist, Palestinian American journalist, I, I unfortunately at the moment, I cannot remember her name. She was killed, you know, yeah. and, 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 and she was, uh, uh, Yuri, probably you remember that better. You, you I, could, think, you I think, 
Shireen something. I'm and I'm yeah. sorry to our audience for blanking out on her name, but but yeah, I, I know exactly. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I also to. have to apologize for not remembering some exact things because all the, the entire experience was so overwhelming. But I want to say that this American Palestinian journalist was killed by a person uh, by an Israeli soldier. They knew Israeli sniper. They knew she was a journalist. There was no way they wouldn't have known that. And so her uh, name was uh, Shireen Abu Arka. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Yes, and. And, and uh, you know the fact that you would wear a vest with a huge press, you know, yes. uh, like you know, saying press that that doesn't necessarily save you from uh, you know from from the danger of being hurt or or even uh, killed. So yeah, sure, yeah. yeah so obviously they uh, you know we were certain things had to be limited, and I haven't seen much of the West Bank. I, I went to Ramallah, I went to Berzeit, I went to um, Bethlehem, uh, which is you know. Not little, but it's not like I've been all over the place. So my experience has obviously been limited, and I spent a lot of time thinking of how how can I actually present it in in a I way. I have an idea. Mm -hmm. Look, I have an idea, and um, you know when my mom always wanted me to tell her everything because she was so curious. So the thing that she had me do was walk her through day by day. So the first question you were sent by this institution there, I, what did you do in the first day? Where did you stay? <laughs> what well, actually, did you, you know, do that's in the first day? Mm -hmm. I, I was uh, lucky in a way because my flight was very early in the morning, actually in the middle of the night. So I arrived early. I mean, I, I was the first one of the whole delegation to arrive there together with another Polish journalist. We flew on the same flight. And uh, I had the whole Sunday basically for me until in the late in the afternoon, the other part of the group uh, gathered and we all had this first very, very initial security briefing. Uh, and I took, you know, I, I just said I'm going to take a spontaneous walk in East Jerusalem just to see how things are for myself. I looked up, you know, for places where I could eat. I wanted to try the hummus. I wanted to enjoy, you know, all those things which we can only get the cheaper version of them here uh, in, uh, in in Europe. So uh, I did I did go, you know, I did go to a restaurant and I had a fantastic meal there and I was the only person and the restaurant was run was run uh, is run by uh, by what you know, the group of citizens who are referred to as Israeli Arabs, like all of them are really Palestinians. I have not heard a single Palestinian that would refer to them, uh, that would refer to him or her as an Arab. Like I, they just don't seem to do that. Uh, and uh, anyway, th that's what they are called. And, you know, he asked me where I'm from and all the rest of it. I told him everything pretty much. And he started talking. Because he said, we don't get many journalists here, many reporters. So he first asked me a question, what do I think things are going to, how do I think things are going to develop? And I told him that I'm unfortunately very pessimistic because Ramadan and the Passover, they happen to clash in terms of uh, the calendar. And the Jews and the Muslims, unlike most Christians, they take their religions seriously. And it, those are really holy periods for them. And they have uh, moral, ethical, maybe even metaphysical, if you like, obligation to carry out certain celebrations. And of course, those celebrations, which gather a lot of attention, including emotional attention, they often happen to be a great starting point, uh, a great starting point for all kinds of political actions which can unfortunately, uh, you know, end in some sort of violence, uh, 
and they you know this is this is the constant experience of this region and uh because of this clash in terms of dates uh that's there's a lot of you know this kind of thing the major escalation of violence is in the air and everyone can feel it and everyone is really afraid of that So this guy, you know, he sat with me, he presented himself, he said, he told me where he's from, where his family was from, and so, uh, and so mm -hmm. on. And uh, he said he's very, he's, yeah, he's afraid and that, you know, he doesn't want to lose his business. He doesn't want to lose, uh, he doesn't want to see, you know, his compatriots die. He doesn't want to see Israelis die. He doesn't want to see Jews die. He doesn't want to see anyone die. He just wants, you know, some kind of some kind of understanding which should be possible after almost eight decades of war and violence. And, you know, this is, you know, this was the first experience. I mean, right in front of me, I had someone who is living in this kind of atmosphere, in this kind of, in, in those conditions which are, which are, are, you know, they are, based on on war and violence and here is someone displaying their spontaneous helplessness to do anything to a random man that just you know happened to mm -hmm. end happened up in their restaurant there. meaning so you, you know, can I see think... you can see how much how much uh you know frustration anger mm -hmm. You know, all kinds of emotions, how strong and heavy this conglomeration is that people have to let steam off at every possible moment. At least that's, this is how yes. I interpret it. Yes. And, you know, I'm telling you, the guy was not just trying to make a small talk. He was, okay, he wasn't crying, but he was genuine and very emotional about those things. And he really was just saying, I don't know what to do. And there has to be a way. It's impossible you know, for this to continue. And this is, you know, this is a feeling that stayed with me and that I've afterwards carried into all those other spots where I went to. And it was only growing and growing and transforming me to a large extent from within because, you know, this is a life-changing experience when you go to a place where you are, where you are surrounded by walls, barbed wire, and groups of soldier, policemen, and border guards who don't only walk around and are armed, but they walk around in a circle with their backs toward each other and hold their automatic rifles like that. This is what it looks like, you know. This is the old town, old city in Jerusalem's reality. This is the reality, well, not around every corner in East Jerusalem, but around many corners. This is a profoundly intimidating thing for a person like myself and like probably many Europeans who live cozy lives. And in comparison, of course, to uh, uh, to the Palestinians. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, Yuri had to go, but uh -huh. I think uh, we, should, we should go on because uh, he had an emergency. Now, I, I really think that... Uh, um, If I could just finish about the first day, uh, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes. Let's finish about the first day. Yeah, so after, after I had this discussion with the guy and we spoke for like 45 minutes and, uh, and, and, uh, and I, I, I just told him that 
you know, I have no solutions. I have no idea. Like I'm new here. I'm not really an expert in this conflict. I also wish there was a solution that could be implemented easily. And, uh, you know, we both pretty much concluded that we're kind of helpless vis-a-vis this thing that's been going on for so many years. And uh, I... I, I, I asked him for, you know, how to get to the old city. I went there and I got to tell you that the old city in Jerusalem is in a, is an exceptional place because this is, this is a place which combines many cultures in an ancient, you know, profoundly historical way. You have, you know, the Jewish quarter, the Arab quarter, the Armenian quarter, the Christian quarter, like, you know, all those things. And of course, there are those elements which I hate, which I know from like many places in Bulgaria, for example, like also ancient places, not as not not as important maybe as uh, Jerusalem, but ancient places which are part of the UNESCO heritage. Uh, and they are they suffer from capitalism, basically, in a sense that, you know, all those ancient walls are covered with all kinds of BS that you can buy for $1 or something like that just to extract some money from the passing tourists. So this is horrible. And I think it's even more horrible in Jerusalem uh, and especially in the old city. But what is more, what is more uh, difficult is precisely this, this, the presence of those police uh, slash border police slash uh, military uh, units, which are just, you know, which are simply, you know, intimidating by their own presence, the way they behave. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I I understand that they fear for their life because there's like, you know, I mean, there are so many things happening, you know, those soldiers are at work, they go there and they have a a task of at least not getting Mm -hmm. killed. And like a few days before I arrived there, there was one Palestinian, uh, you know, warrior terrorist, like call them whatever you like, who dressed up as an Orthodox Jew, approached one of those soldiers and stabbed him in the neck, in the neck, right? So, so like, you know, you get this all the time. I mean, this spiral of violence is just so, so developed that, you know, for those people who were in it, who are in it, who are living there, who experience this on a daily basis, for them, it's, it's kind of the architecture of their daily life. And for them, it's yeah, not, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it is a problem, but not so much. But for me, when I see the, and especially when the, there are those crowds and crowds and crowds of tourists and salesmen and all kinds of people who are there in this old city, right? Uh, and, and when you see those soldiers moving like that all around, sometimes, sometimes they get, yes, I, they I get tired that, too. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and once, you know, I, I even took a picture of them like trying to rest and they were just like, you know, putting all their, you know, heavy helmets and everything all around them. Like, you know, they were like surrounded with the weaponry that they've had and they were just leaning against the wall, you know, and only one guy basically standing there being prepared to uh, eventually do something. Yeah. But this is, this is really, uh, you know, and then inside, inside the old city, you have what is referred to the Al-Aqsa compound which is uh, this, you know, holy stone and the mosque for, you know, the um, the Muslims, this holy place, one of the three, if I remember, holy places in, um, uh, uh, in their religion, in Islam. And uh, it's forbidden to basically go there. You know, it's forbidden oh. to, to, to enter it. Why? Right? Like you cannot, and it's, and it's guarded also by Israeli policemen, uh, 
And no one can go there except for if someone gets a permission. And this is, you know, very difficult process. I, I can explain it on some other program on how to get a permission to do whatever as a Palestinian, by the way. Uh, but uh, they are afraid because all, all those, you know, all the violence in the recent years from the side of Palestinians started with Al-Aqsa somehow. You know, like masses of people going there and, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. things happening that, you know, uh, that are violent and deadly and so on and so forth. So, you know, you have this and then you have the Al-Aqsa, you know, this holy place, which is cut off. No one can go or very little people oh, can go. I see that on... Yuri came back maybe to, to, to say goodbye. Right. So you have to... Okay, unfortunately, I have to leave, but I've been listening very, very closely to Boyan's experience. Boyan, I'm looking forward to 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 the next segments that we're, that we're going to be talking about this. Sure. Of course, I'm gonna, I'm trying to get you to come back on a uh, one plus uh, one for two for two important episodes. The first episode, though, is going to be all about uh, your experience in Israel because I've been trying to get uh, Israeli journalists and past guests on to talk about the current. Save affairs with uh, Netanyahu and his right wing, uh, far right mm-hmm. coalition, radically Which trying is falling to apart. Everything. Like everything is so, like you know. So Ben, I just wanted to say uh, bye. I'm loving hearing all of this uh, stories. I'm looking forward to 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 the next segments. Looking forward to you coming on one plus one to talk about this. And uh, peace to everyone. And yes, power to the people and death to uh, Zionism and imperialism. Ciao. Bye. <laughs> bye. Right. Uh, so I'm finishing. I'm uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, this this initial description. I just want to say that, and and on top of everything, you I learned later that the whole Alexa compound is actually managed, and it's relatively safe because it's managed not by the Palestinians but by the Jordanian government. They kind of own the administration of it, and this is the only wow. way. Right? Yeah. Like so, everything <laughs> is so complicated and twisted, and 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 you know. And interconnected in so many strange ways that it's really, really difficult to kind of, you know, even start explaining certain things, especially, you know, a person like me who has not much of a knowledge about Middle East. But what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say here is that it's a very profound experience. It's a very drastic experience in many ways, but it's also an experience which which is an eye opener, an eye opener, not only to, you know, the uh, not only to what people can bear with. And this is very important, very important, because, you know, I just gave you a very, very tiny portion of the kind of, you know, uh, impressions I I got uh, there. But then, you know, then I went to the West Bank, then I see, uh, then I went to see uh, refugee camps uh, where you have the third generation, third generation already in their, in their, in their middle age. Uh, you know, approaching their 50s or 60s, the third generation which was born, raised, uh, and, and has lived in this um, uh, in this refugee camp, and uh, it's uh, you know it's many 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 things. So uh, uh, let I'm me just sure, but and, tell and me a little you, bit yeah. about the 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 security briefing because I am curious. What did they tell you that you don't have to engage with the soldiers? That you no, don't no. have to? What What did they tell you not well, to I do? Cannot, because I'm pretty yeah. sure that yeah. was you know a lay. They just laid out the rules. Obviously, I cannot tell you everything, uh, but those things which I feel I can share are the following. First of all, uh, you know, the we were. What they tried to explain to us is that anything 
can happen at any time, at any spot. You are never safe here. Never. Just, and this is, you know, even when you hear this and then when you go through the, through the experience that I went through, it, it kind of gets confirmed and reconfirmed and reiterated. You come to think about all those people there and let alone Palestinians and Israelis. Like, you know, think, even think about those Israelis who live in, in West Jerusalem. Like, you know, they can get on a tram or a bus or other public transit and they can, you know, get off as the Greeks say, on the other side of the Styx River. Like they can just never get off, in other words, right? So, you know, they can have the, you know, they can have the army, they can have the police, they can have all those things which are supposed to make them safe. But in a situation of war, you are never safe. Like even if you are the kind of the leading, the overwhelming power. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I can give you also a great example. It's from another day. You know, there's this wall, right, that the Israelis have built after uh -huh, the Second uh -huh. Intifada, which, by the way, by the way, I've seen this wall and it's stunning. I mean, it's an amazing piece of cement, barbed wire, you know, uh, and, and, and military posts, basically. And, and it's really amazing. I mean, the Berlin Wall is nothing in comparison to that, okay? And this is overwhelming in and out of itself, of course, and it kind of makes you think and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, makes you draw certain historical associations. But, uh, you, you know, there are holes in even this supreme, best, you know, top-notch security world. There are holes. So even this great Israeli, mighty Israeli army, uh, you know, the Mossad, the border guards, they cannot even police the wall. So they had to come to a kind of unspoken compromise that some Palestinians go through the wall, go through the holes, and they work in the gas station nearby, right around the corner after they, you know, after they cross the border, you know, with Israel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they work there, and the agreement is that if they don't decide to stay until the first such Palestinian doesn't decide to stay longer than 24 hours, they will do nothing about it. But, you know, it also makes you ask questions like, why do they, those people go through the wall? Well, because it's very difficult to go legally through the wall because, you know, and I've spoken to people like this, this is amazing. I mean, you know, I sometimes, I sometimes complain how I have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and, you know, take my daughter to school and so on and so forth. Well, those people have to wake up at four. You know why? Because then there is like three hour standing in line to get through a security checkpoint. If you get a permit to go through and to take your kid to school, the kids sleep in the car, but the parents don't. Then they have to bring the children to school. They have to go to work. They have to work eight hours. They work for less. Of course, they work for, you know, that's a whole other story, right? And then the same thing on your way back. Same thing. Lines and lines of people and barbed wire all around them. Fences, you know, and children, mothers, pregnant people, disabled people, you name it. All of them there, no mercy for anyone. This is how it goes. And, you know, and, and why, why do they do that? Because... Life in East Jerusalem or Jerusalem in general is so expensive that even if you have a decent job, you just simply have to go and live in, in outside 
well, uh, behind the wall, like on the other side of the wall, because it's much cheaper. And this is the only way that you can make a living. Right. And you cannot work on the other side of the wall because there's simply no business because Israel prevents them from having any kind of, you know, economy. So, uh, you know, it's a very, very complicated situation. And those people are... So basically you know, they... the idea with the security briefing was that you're not Yeah, sorry, not I should have... Safe. Yeah, I got carried away again. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's like, uh, it's really... It was no, really no very problem. emotional no for me. No problem, and... because, you know, I have a lot of training having my mother, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell. Uh, and I, I seem to have learned something from her. Yeah. So I know how yeah. to stick to the plan. So... You had this security briefing. It was done, of so course. So it was, it was about the, that. Yes, and it was about, uh, and it was done by the European organization. Or you had representatives yeah. of the local. Oh, no, police. no, no, no. We had we had people who are trained policemen uh, who served in you know all those interesting places uh, like Libya, Somalia, or something like that, mm -hmm. and now they are there. So they really know how to. Uh, how to handle this job. And they were, uh, you know, they gave us some very concrete instructions. And, you know, I don't want to, uh, like, I, I don't want to go, like, too tech. I, I don't want to get too technical here. But, you know, one, one, for example, thing is that you never run. Like, you walk. You walk fast if something happens, but you don't run. Because if anyone sees you running, then you will be the first target to be shot at. This is just how things happen. Because, so how yeah, do you jog, for instance, if you want to... No, no, no. When something happens, I mean, when there's an emergency uh -huh, situation, uh -huh. that, then you don't run. You walk quickly, you know, you, you squat, you lie down, like whatever has to be done. I mean, depending on the situation, but you don't run. Like, you know, you don't drop things and run in panic and stuff like that because it only puts you in more danger than you already are uh -huh. in. So, I'm, you know, there were some very detailed instructions and I'm very thankful for those people that they shared their professional experience and that they actually took care of us and, you know, that they were considerate enough to, you know, explain to us in detail all the things, including, you know, why certain things could not have happened and so on and so forth, right? So uh, this is all, mm, uh, this, was, this was very initial. And then, you know, we had a security briefing before every concrete and specific trip, like what happens, like, you know, what happens when we go mm -hmm. here, what happens when we go there, where, if anything happens, where, through, through which alleys, which streets, which directions will the Israeli army be coming from, what they do in most cases, how you behave, you know, all those things, that, 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 that kind of... That kind of matters. It, it was all, of course, very overwhelming and, and it created a lot of pressure and, and maybe, you know, intimidation even. But this all is nothing. I, I really want to tell you, and I think perhaps this is the bottom line here that <clears throat> I, should, I should try and convey in this first segment, is that all this is nothing. I'm telling you all this is nothing. I went and I went to places where I have seen people living in, in a misery where the Bulgarian gypsy ghettos are nothing in comparison to. And they've lived there for, you know, like three generations now. And, you know, not only they are able to endure it, not only they are able to stand strong and still talk about resistance. They have their word sumut, which means brave resistance. And they have it, that's their ideology, that's their philosophy, that's their way of life. And it contains this profoundly optimistic element that things are going to get solved. One day, things are going to get solved. They don't know how, they, they know they have to resist, but they, and, and they've not lost the hope after eight, nearly 80 years. 
Well, uh, yes, this is, this is fantastic. And I would say <laughs> that they are so, so brave, but in a sense, you know, this is what you have to do to survive because otherwise yeah. you'll just yeah. go crazy. You'll just Absolutely. go crazy. So you have to, and, and you I have, have to so find many ways. questions left, yeah. but so we walked through, through the first day and then probably you ate and, uh, Probably you had some conversations with the others. Yeah. Were uh, the others where you said that there were seven? Were there any women? Yeah, yeah, there were. There were. There were uh, women from uh, Belgium, from the Irish TV. Uh, yeah, from. Uh, um, yeah, now when I come to think about the exact <laughs> configuration of the catership, like, uh, yeah, what? Uh, so there were. <clears throat> Yeah, and there was the spokesman of the mission. She was also a woman, a Maltese woman. Uh, I, she was the leader of the of this initiative, or at least on the ground. Uh, and um, <clears throat> and I think a lot of the credit for the organization of everything goes to her. Uh, we've also had other people from the mission, from the UPOCOPS mission, you know, working with us mm-hmm, uh, occasionally mm-hmm. and and uh, you know being with us, explaining certain things, and being very helpful. Also, you know, talking to some because this is also the job that you want to do, right? Like as a uh, as a uh, as a journalist, you want to speak to important people, but you also want to speak to random people. And this is what I've done to a great extent. I wasn't able to record everyone, but I promise that we're going to put together a small, you know, documentary kind of piece, uh, which we are going fantastic. to present. Uh, mm-hmm. We're already working with, on it <clears throat> with our, well, for lack of a better word, art director. Uh, and uh, we, we will see what can be you know what what can what can be done with all those things that I did record, <clears throat> but you know they they enabled this because they translated for us. The Palestinians are exceptionally well educated, by the way, exceptionally well educated. Many of them are educated in Europe, and what is even more interesting, they go to Europe. Many of them have the dream of going to Europe to study, and then they come back. They come back to this misery because they know it will be solved one day. So, uh, and then we also met very important, uh, you know, we met intellectuals, we met people who are, uh, you know, running cultural uh, circles, organizations. Uh, We met people who are politically engaged. Uh, You know, we met a lot of like all kinds of people and I will, I I recorded some of them um, and, and I really hope to be able to sort of put it, together competently in a sense that we can convey this message I just expressed here, but also to show uh, to show what kind of impressions a person like us, a person like me, a person like, you know, like an Eastern European leftist can get from there. Because, you know, one thing which I'm, <clears throat> which I, which I want to avoid is to just convey this typical kind of thing, which you can find on every channel and on an every lefty discussion forum. Israel bad, Palestine good, brave, you know, conflict, you know, long live Palestine mm-hmm. down with Zionism. That's that's like, I mean, of course, we can repeat that, but it doesn't lead us anywhere. And it hasn't led anyone anywhere for the last 80 years. So I am not going to present anything which is going to overwhelm you, probably. I'm not going to present anything that you don't know, but I am going to tell you about how it changes the political, the ethical, the moral, the philosophical, if you like, perspective on your daily life if you're an adult, emotionally intelligent and politically educated person. And I think this is an experience everyone who wants to stay in politics and who Mm -hmm. wants to be serious about it, they should consider 
you know, this is th- that's that's the kind of thing that I'm going to mm-hmm. try and focus on. And in, in the next segments, of course, of our show and in the movie that we're putting together. Great, Boyan. Thank you so much for sharing this. I think it was very informative and it was very interesting. And to the viewers, if you like what you saw, please support us. We have a small community of donors to whom we are extremely thankful. And you can find us on uh, patreon.com slash the barricade. You can make a subscription, a donation to the extent, of course, you feel you, you can afford it. And um, thanks so much, Boyan, again to the viewers. Um, keep watching, support us, and we'll see you all in our next segment. Thank you. Thank you.